trapped. 887 White Beach Lane. Someone get to 887 White Beach Lane. Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live, and it is my honor and privilege tonight to welcome our very special cast, a guest, Adrian Barbeau from movies like The Fog, Escape from New York, Swamp Thing. Adrian, thank you so much for being here with us. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing okay. Now that we got all our technical difficulties out of the way. Exactly. <laughs> and that's a, well, it's one of the things that makes live broadcast great, I think. It's just the unpredictable. <laughs> so let's get started. Let's go right away into this. Uh, your film debut was with The Fog. So how did you uh, get into John Carpenter's sphere? Uh, how did he find you or did you find him to get you casted for Stevie and The Fog? Well, um, John cast me in his first television film, Someone's Watching Me. Okay. Uh, I think probably the reason he was interested in using me was that he, was, uh, he had seen me on Maud, and he had the sense that I, was the, that I could play the kind of woman that he, he liked to write, which was as he's called it many times, the Howard Hawks woman, you know, <laughs> strong, yep. maybe hopefully witty, you know, that kind of thing. And, and uh, he, he just called me in and, and said, I'd like you to do this role. So we met on Someone's Watching Me. I, I played the first gay woman on television that, I, that I'm aware of. I wow. Think. And uh, John had written the script as well. He, he did a beautiful job on that. And, uh, and then... The fog came next, and he 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 basically I, I he wrote the role of Stevie Wayne for me. How did it feel? Now, first of all, I gotta say uh, I've been talking to people, letting you letting them know you're coming on the show, and they're like, "Wow, Escape from New York." For me personally, uh, Adrian, when I think of Adrian Barbeau, it's the fog. I loved you as Stevie in The Fog. You were amazing as Maggie in Escape from New York. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but, I mean, when uh, John brought you in for The Fog, and we know John Carpenter likes to work with a specific set of actors and so on, like Jamie Lee Curtis and so on. Uh, how did you get introduced? Was that your first time meeting, for example, Jamie Lee Curtis to the rest of the cast? No, no, no. I knew Jamie because uh, 
John had already filmed Halloween, mm-hmm. and John and I were a couple by that time. Okay. When we, when we, you know, a couple of months after we finished filming, someone's watching me. We started dating, so uh, I knew Jamie socially. Tom Atkins is one of my oldest friends. Um, I was the one who introduced Tom to to John. Oh. Uh, Nancy Loomis. Nancy Kyes now, but Nancy yes. Loomis and her at that time husband Tommy Wallace stood up for us when we got married. They were John's oldest and dearest friends. So I I knew Tommy and Nancy from the time I met John. Um, I knew Deborah because uh, you know Deborah was with John uh, from the time I met him. Deborah Hill, the producer. Yes. Who else is in the film? I did not know Chuck Cyphers, and I hadn't met Janet Lee. About Hal and Holbrook? I had not met Hal. We went on and did Creep Show together after the fog, mm-hmm. but uh, and and truthfully, I mean, I didn't, you know, I I didn't work with anybody else in the movie. It was basically just me and Ty Mitchell, the boy that played my son. But um, and I don't even recall that Hal was on location with us. I really don't remember that part of it. Okay. But uh, but it was a family. It, oh, it sounds like it. Now, the uh, character of Stevie is very unique in The Fog in that you don't have any other character interaction. You're by yourself in the radio station, in the lighthouse, but by the time the movie ends, you are one of the biggest heroes directing people to safety. Uh, how was that in uh, in your preparation for the role, in acting it out, knowing that you're not going to have scenes with pretty much uh, anybody else in the cast? I mean, how you know, did that... I don't. I, I never. I never thought about it. It never crossed my mind. I mean, I'm a disc jockey. You know what that's like. Yeah. So I'm speaking. You know, to an audience. So there. You know, I'm. Uh, uh, that that never. That was never an issue. And um, I don't think it even crossed my mind until after the film was over and people started talking about it and saying, you didn't have scenes with anybody else. And, oh, really? You know? Do you know, <laughs> like, when you were shooting your scenes, if uh, the other cast members were already done, have, or were you the first one to shoot your scenes as far as the chronological order of shooting goes? Mm-hmm. That I really don't remember. My scenes on top of the lighthouse were were filmed in a studio. So, and we started in Inverness doing the exteriors and the the scenes ab- around the lighthouse in and, Scotland. No, Inverness, uh, California. Oh, okay. The film, was, okay. the film was shot at the Point Reyes National Seashore. Okay. That's the Point Reyes Lighthouse, and the the town where the um, the the mini mart the gas station mm-hmm. and where uh, Stevie's house is and all of those driving scenes along the water that was a small town called Inverness which is right next door to Point Reyes. Gotcha. The the downtown part. Uh, in fact, the um, when we had the the lighting ceremony or the whatever they called it, where everybody was, you know, in the town, that was, that was Point Reyes. So it was a combination of the two, two 
They're very small you yeah. know, towns. Beautiful, the lighthouse beautiful. is actually still there in Tiburon, California. Oh, yes. It's still there. Yes. Uh, it's an incredible vacation spot <laughs> if anybody wants to go hiking. It is beautiful. Uh, let's go back to the beginning. Going from Broadway to film, what was that transition like for you? Well, I didn't go from Broadway to film. I went from Broadway to television. That's right. That's right. I, uh, you know, I, 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 I left Greece. I was the original Rizzo. Mm -hmm. um, I was nominated for a Tony and Norman Lear called me in for to, to audition for Maud and and brought me to Los Angeles. <coughs> Excuse me. It's okay. And so my first uh, transition away from theater was uh, six years on Maud and, and that was tape and we shot that like a play. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was um, and then during that time I started doing miniseries and TV movies, movies of the week guest artists guest episodes on uh you know other series yeah um but it wasn't until the fog that uh i did a feature film and truly if it hadn't been for john offering me the fog in the 1978 i don't know how long it would have been because in 1978 if you were on television you couldn't get hired to be in a film the producers, the, the train of thought was nobody's going to pay to see somebody in the theater if they can see him for free every night, uh, you know, every Tuesday night at eight o'clock. Wow, how things have changed. Yes. Yeah. And it was, um, oh, can you excuse me for tw 10 seconds? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hold on. It just shows to show, goes to show you guys how things have changed, you know, from the 70s all the way to now. <laughs> I'm sorry, the dog got caught oh, in, inside the studio. <laughs> <laughs> so and there's another one on the outside who wants to come in. So <laughs> <laughs> now every big star on film is doing television. It's like yes. everything has completely changed. Yes. Now, having been on stage, on television, on film, uh, where does your passion lie? You know, my passion really lies with the words, with the character. Um, I just did a year touring with the National Company of Pippin because it was such a great role for a woman my age, you know, to be hanging from a trapeze and singing a song upside down. Uh, <laughs> that's not something you get offered very often, and it wasn't something I could turn down. If I had my druthers, it would be the great role in film, I think, because I'm not a nighttime person. So, you know, doing theater means you're up, you're up late, and you know, and I wake up early, so it's 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 not as easy for me. And sometimes I'd you got to do multiple shows in a single day. That's true too. Yeah. So I'd rather get up at five or six in the morning and get on the set and uh, and do that. But it really comes down to um, to the role. Exactly. I can totally see. I mean, once you're in the role, it doesn't matter whether it's theater, TV, or film. Would you say Maud was, I mean, your biggest break in your career? Well, Maud certainly introduced me to the you know, a nationwide audience. Um, 
it was probably being nominated for the Tony for Greece that perpetuated, you know, that, that kicked everything off. Um, but Maud, yeah, Maud led to everything else, I think, in terms of television and film. And it's you, I mean, you uh, and B. Arthur, okay, uh, went on, B. Arthur, you know, I believe it was mentioned that she had become your mentor. Uh, what was your personal relationship like with uh, B. Arthur? Oh, I love B. I just, I loved her. She was just, uh, she was just a great lady. I, I don't know that, I wouldn't use the word mentor. If anything, Conrad Bain was really my mentor. He was sort of like my dad, you know. Wow. I remember when I first, I bought my first house. I bought it. I walked in, I looked around, I thought, this is it, and I bought it. And then I never saw it again until I owned it. And then I saw it with no furniture. And all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh, what are these walls? And, and I immediately called Conrad and I said, could you come over and tell me if I made a terrible mistake? B was my, so much of what I do now in terms of comedy and in terms of comedy delivery, I think, is a, res a direct result of having spent six years in the same room with B. I mean, you can't, she's you can't, amazing. She's amazing. you she can't has, be yeah. with that kind of talent and not have it rub off on you, you oh, know? So yeah. many times I'll deliver a line and I'll think, oh my gosh, that's exactly, <laughs> I sound just like B, you know, because <laughs> that's where I learned. I learned so much from her. What would you say was the best advice you got either from B or Conrad? Oh. <laughs> as far as acting goes. Conrad told me to buy diesel Mercedes. <laughs> and B told me to eat hard-boiled eggs with Tabasco sauce. <laughs> now, uh, you're also a writer. Uh, what led you to write your memoir, uh, There Are Worse Things I Can Do, back in 2006? Um, the short story is... I believe, I truly believe, that I got a message from a deceased girlfriend of mine. She was my very closest friend. And through a series of events, uh, I feel like I got this message. From I, her I, I totally, I, yeah, I, I, I totally believe that. I'm a believer of that 100%. So. Well, I, I mean, the whole story is this was a woman that I had met on the first day of preschool for my younger child, Cody okay. Carpenter. And we became instant friends and we were, you know, as close as sisters. And she was a film editor and she died in 98 of breast cancer. Wow. And on the first day of preschool for my older boys, uh, my younger boys, I'm sorry, about four years later, um, a woman walked onto the campus who looked just like my dead friend. And it was so disturbing to me that I, I had to grab onto something because I thought I was going to pass out. Wow. And, and the woman said, are you okay? What's going on? And I said, yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. You just look like somebody, a very close friend of mine. She said, oh, who? I said, oh, you wouldn't know her. I said, she was a, a film editor. She was my closest friend, and she passed away from breast cancer. And this woman who looked just like my friend, just like her, said, oh, well, I'm a film editor and I have breast cancer. We could be best friends. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. So, you know, immediately, like the next day, we went out and had coffee. And during that coffee, 
she told me about a writing class that she had attended that was uh, uh, taught by a woman who had been an actress on Broadway, a musical comedy actress at the same time I was, who lived not more than a half a mile away from me and who was teaching writing primarily to actors and actresses, well-known names that you would that you would recognize. And as soon as this woman who looked just like my friend told me this, I thought, you know what? I'm supposed to do this. This is Suzanne telling me I'm supposed to do this. So I started taking a writing class. And, um, you know, I, well, if you're going to take a writing class, you've got to bring in homework assignments. You've got to write. You know, what am I going to write? Uh, and I started thinking about some of the films I had done, some of the people I had dated, some of the things in my life that I sort of took for granted, but I realized maybe, you know, a reader might find funny or interesting or something. So I started writing little pieces about my life, going to Russia to do a horror film and having to be having to have fish heads squeezed all over me so that the rats could swarm all over me because it was a movie about rats and, uh, or dating Burt Reynolds or marrying John or, uh, you know, um, uh, making the fog, um, making escape. Can't remember what else I talked about, but God, so uh, after this... about six months, I, the teacher said, you need to get an agent cause you've got a book here. And that was my first memoir named after the song that I sang in Greece. There uh, are worse things I could do. With a person that has had your experience, how could you not write a book and share well, that with the world? You know, that well, was... you know, it's it's one thing to write a book, but it's another to write a book in an interesting manner, and yeah. that was what was important to me. Was did I have a voice that was well, that well, was you know people would find funny or interesting? Or well, whatever. that leads me exactly to my next question. What was the reaction that you got from your book? It was. The bestseller. It was a bestseller. It was on the L.A. Times bestseller list, mm -hmm. and, um, and and people seemed to really enjoy it. You know, <laughs> I, I would definitely say so. Uh, now you said you won uh, an award, and uh, how did it feel to win the Theater Guild Award for your portrayal of uh, Rizzo in Greece? Oh, you know, it's so long ago, and right now I'm working on my fifth book uh, with the director of the original company of Greece and the producer of the original company of Greece. We're working on, on a book that we hope to have released for the 50th anniversary of Greece next year, Valentine's Day. Wow. I can't talk about it too much, um, but uh, it was so long ago. And, um, I really don't remember. <laughs> no, I remember. I remember when I got the call that I had been nominated for the Tony, and it was a total shock because Greece wasn't even. We were on a Broadway contract, but we were in a, a theater downtown, mm -hmm. the Eden Theater, and so it never had crossed my mind that we would even be eligible for the Tony Awards. So it was so a that, Broadway play, but it was done off broadway we originally opened in a 500 seat theater in the east village called okay. the eden theater but because it was 500 seats 
we were on a Broadway contract. Okay. So when time came for the Tony Awards, um, well, the man that was the head of the uh, Tony Award o or Association was not happy about Ooh. the fact that we d deserve to be included. Mm. Uh, but the producers <laughs> sort of cracked the whip and... Uh, and and we were nominated. Barry Bostwick was nominated. Timothy Myers was nominated, and I was nominated for Tonys. That is awesome, and I'm glad yeah. that you know whatever you know hang up that guy had about it being a little off Broadway <laughs> did not in the end did not stick. Uh, well, not... I don't know because he was he was quoted as saying, you know, you're not going to win anything. It's going to be over my dead body if you win anything. <laughs> we didn't win anything, but you know, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Now, Going into the fog, it being your first feature film, what expectations did you have of what you were going to face in shooting it? Um, none. I didn't. I don't. I mean, I don't remember. You know, I had already worked with John. I knew that. You know, he was a fantastic director, and I knew I could trust him completely. And I knew most of the crew. Uh, his AD and his location manager and his second AD and the DP and uh, uh, I didn't have I, I just you just, know just I, went I, in I don't there think, and... you know I don't think I don't really think in those terms I don't really think I don't I don't think I show up with any expectations except wanting to do a good job so I mean, uh, so, so when you did it I mean and it was done did you say Okay, wow, you know, this is something that, you know, in regards to feature films, I would definitely love to continue doing this. You mean the, the genre? Yeah, the genre, horror, feature films. I, again, I don't, I sort of don't think in those terms. It all depends on what's offered me and what I like. I just finished another film called Unearth, mm -hmm. which is a, it's a horror film, but it's a socially significant horror film about fracking. Wow. Um, but again, I took it because I love the script. There have been times in my life, and I, I go into this in detail in the book, when I've taken things because I needed to work, you know, I needed to pay the bills, mm -hmm. uh, or because I wanted to go to Russia, which is where the rat movie took place. But um, I don't, I, I mean, I expect, you know, that everybody's going to do their job and that it's it's going to be as good as I think it's going to be when I read the script. So that's that leads me great, perfectly to my next question. Let's take the characters of Stevie and Maggie, you know, Maggie from Escape from New York and Stevie. Which character do you feel uh, more personal connection to or felt was a stronger character out of Stevie or Maggie? Hmm. I mean, two women, strong women, uh, self-sufficient. We saw how Maggie... Uh, you know, was in love with the character of Brain and was devastated by his death, seek revenge, which ultimately led to Maggie's demise on the movie. So two very strong women. Uh, are they just... With a, with a sense of morality. I exactly. Think. That's, that's, that's what, I, I mean, even, you know, Stevie doesn't leave her post to go save her son. Yeah. 
because she's got a larger calling. You know, she's got to try and save everybody. Yep. And, and Maggie has to uh, avenge Brain's death. Uh, there's no question. It's not about her. It's about doing what's right. Now, uh, moving on to Maggie and Escape from New York and The Fog, two Carpenter films, okay? Uh, first of all, where was Escape from New York shot? Was it shot on a lot in L.A.? No, it was shot in St. Louis. St. Louis? Most, most of it was shot in St. Louis. The, um, the opening scenes were shot at the, uh, I can't remember what it's called now, the the dam, the Sepulveda Dam, I think, okay. here, in, uh, here in Los Angeles. And Brain's, our crib, <laughs> where Brain and Maggie lived, was at the UCLA Law Library, I think. But all of the rest, all the exteriors, all the, 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 the wrestling scene, or, you know, the scene on the, in the boxing rink, yeah. and uh, all of those things were shot in St. Louis. The bridge was in St. Louis. St. Louis at that time had a, 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 an area of the city that was really in disarray. And uh, that, bridge was, that bridge was not even functioning. How was it working with the late, great Harry Dean Stanton, who played Brain on Escape from New York? Harry was great. Harry was great. All, all of the guys were great. I loved them all. Kurt Russell was, was like still an up-and-comer. Uh, did you two, you know, find it easy to get along with each other? Again, Kurt and his wife, Season, at the time, uh, who plays the chock full of nuts girl. Exactly. Season Hubbard. Uh, Kurt, Kurt and Season were, uh, we were all close social friends because mm -hmm. John had directed Kurt in Elvis and mm -hmm. Season. He had directed Season um, in Elvis. So, you know, uh, I knew them as friends before I knew them on screen or as, you know, on the set. So, and they're, great, they're both great to work with. I didn't have any scenes with Season, but, you know, Kurt is fantastic. And then, of course, uh, you, even though you didn't have any scenes directly, Isaac Hayes, another great actor who played uh, the Duke of New York. Just, you've had, the, you know, the, such honor of working with such great actors throughout your career kind of hard to fathom all of it uh did you feel like the history of the town being haunted i mean how did it make you feel the overall story of the fog uh the plot of the story of the town and its corruption did did were you really drawn to that plot you already said that john wrote the role of stevie for you uh, as far as the overall plot of the movie, I love The Fog, the original Fog. What, what were your thoughts on the entire script? You know, I, am, I had never seen horror films. In fact, when you, you showed your, the, uh, your opening Clip, yeah. montage, not of me, but the, the montage for the show, uh, I was watching and I was thinking... Uh, I think I've seen two of these. Wow. <laughs> I'm not a horror film. I don't, I mean, I, I don't, I don't enjoy seeing them. I don't enjoy watching them. So how does um, it make you feel to be uh, in the horror scream queen list? It's been fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's been, you know, 
it's given me an, an enormous part of my career. Uh, I mean, I've done a lot of other things, but uh, there's a whole there's a whole group of people out there who who know me for for the genre. Exactly. And, and they're fantastic fans. They're just, it's its a great thing to be associated with. I just don't like to see them. Uh, you, know? you know? I don't like to be scared. Exactly. And you're not the first person who I've interviewed who's done a lot of horror. But as far as, you know, when it's time for them to sit back and relax at home, there's no horror movies in their queue to watch. No, you know? there's makes... no horror movies in my queue box. Well, what I've heard a lot of people say is that shooting horror movies is extremely fun. Do you think of it that way as also? You know, every set is different. Every set is different. I've been on some that were not fun at all. They just were just difficult, really difficult. <laughs> Uh, it, it really just, it, everyone is specific, I think. Um, yeah. And, and you have so many uh, contacts in the horror industry. Let's go on to Wes Craven and uh, your leading role in the Swamp Thing. Okay. I believe that was uh, shot in South Carolina. Is that accurate? Uh, we were in... Um... Charleston. We were in Charleston. Yes, yeah, South Charleston, Carolina. South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cypress Gardens, Magnolia Gardens. Yeah. Now, Wes Craven, back, you know, he's been around even in, from the early 70s. He did The Last House on the Left, has sort of been establishing his, himself as a horror director. What did uh, your relationship go and your interactions with Wes Craven? I, I, I liked Wes a lot. We were not as close because... He had a really difficult time, a difficult shoot on his hands. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the movie was under budgeted and the studio kept cutting the budget out from under him. So he was just working nonstop. And when we weren't working, there was no time for socializing because we were working 14 hour days and then he was going to see dailies and or else he was rewriting the script because yeah. they just pulled more money out from under him and he couldn't do that scene and he didn't have those actors and it was um the final product is a real tribute to him because uh it wasn't easy yeah, it sounds it really like he had very limited resources, but he still pulled out a pretty decent product with the limited resources that he had. And you were yeah. great. Uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the Swamp Thing the first feature film where you have a uh, a lead co-leading role in? I believe it is. Um. Is that part of the reason? That is that part of the reason that attracted you to the Swamp Thing to do it? Now the Swamp Thing came out in '82, uh, which is after the fog. Uh, after the fog and after Escape. And after Escape, what attracted you to that? You know, brought you to do the Swamp Thing. Well, again, it was the character. You know, strong woman kicking butt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, a lot of people don't know this, but you were the voice in The Thing, in the movie The Thing with Kurt Russell, 
where uh, I believe Kurt Russell took out his frustration by throwing a cup of coffee on the uh, computer that was, uh, you know, your voice was coming through. So uh, was it just a connection again with Kurt Russell that, you know, you you became the voice in the movie? No, the it thing? was John. It, it was, was all John. John. <laughs> yeah, I mean. John directed it. John said, come and do this voice for me. Come and, you know, be the voice of the computer. And it's really funny. If you look at John's movies, uh, The Fog, Halloween, of course, which is probably what he's very famous for. The Thing, Escape from New York is the one that, it's not a horror movie. Uh, it's more like, a, I don't know, a futuristic. Back then it was futuristic mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. action film. Uh, what would you guess was John's deviation from horror into doing Escape from New York, which was absolutely brilliant? Well, you know, before that, he did Elvis. Yes. Yes, uh, I forgot about that, yes. And Someone's Watching Me, which was a a thriller, not a horror film. Uh, Assault on Precinct 13 was not a horror film. Okay. Um, I think he had he had well he had Dark Star. He started with Dark Star, which was a science fiction. I mean, sort of science fiction thing. Um, so I mean, he's he's bounced around. I think John's, and you'd have to talk to him. But I I seem to remember his his philosophy about film is that he wanted to make people feel. Not think, but feel, you exactly. know, jump yeah. or, you know, uh, he wanted to move people in a visceral sense. And I shouldn't be I shouldn't be quoting him, but um, he wasn't interested in doing talking heads and things like that. Uh, I totally get I totally get it. It totally makes sense. And, you know, hopefully one day we will have John Carpenter on here soon. Now, you have worked with uh, Tom Atkins in like four different films, uh, The Fog, Escape from New York, and then there's Creep Show. You've also done yes. Creep Show. Too, yes. and, then and, and Two Evil Eyes. Two yes. Evil Eyes. Uh, have, you beca- have you guys become, you know, became, did you guys become good friends? Uh, you oh, know? Tom, and I were, Tom and I were friends long before... Um, uh, Tom and I met in 19, about 1974, maybe, or 75. Um, He was dating uh, one of my closest friends who had also been on Broadway in Greece. Mm -hmm. And um, I introduced Tom to John. Mm -hmm. So I've known Tom, I've known Tom longer than I've known John. Wow. And I love him dearly. We've never we've done four films together. We've never had a scene together. That's true. That is yeah. true. Uh, yeah. Although I'm hoping because um, you know we're in the process and we're trying to find financing for my second vampire novel, and I wrote Tom into that novel as Tom Atkins. Wow. So if it if it comes to the big screen, <laughs> then although. My character still doesn't. <laughs> my character still wouldn't be <laughs> in the same room with him. So after written as many, you know, you've written several novels. Are you like really comfortable and uh, 
I found, uh, you know, another passion in writing that you want to just continue doing for as long as you can? Not really, not really. I mean, I, um, when I finished the third vampire novel, I, I, I had no intention of, of, of writing. Well, I ended up writing the screenplay for the second one, but I had no intention of writing again. And then this Grease project came along and, um, I am writing some of it. I'm editing most of it and, and rewriting a lot of it. Uh, but I'm not a storyteller in my mind, you know, and I don't, it's, I, I enjoy the process, but I don't think, and I'm, I've been happy with the end result, but I don't think of myself as a writer, <laughs> if that makes sense. Well, that's a good question. I mean, I'm not. I'm not Stephen King thinking, oh, my God, I've got another idea. Here's another idea. This is what I want to write. I don't know. Well, That's not me. <laughs> that leads to a fascinating question. Let's say you meet somebody for the first time. They don't know who you are. And they ask you, well, what do you do? What is the answer you would give them? I usually, I mean, I don't necessarily meet somebody, but you know, when you have to fill out forms and yeah. it says your occupation, yeah. I, us I usually put actress slash author okay. because I've earned my living doing both, you know, but, um, uh, and I've been very, I've been very blessed to be able to do that, to be able to earn my living doing something I love. And you are still going very, very strong. Um, I asked this question to Robert Joy the other day, and uh, the question I asked him, is there just a certain point after you've accomplished so much in your career and you have all these great accomplishments, you can look back and really be proud that you feel, you know what, it's time for me to just, you know, put work aside and enjoy my life doing you know recreational stuff has that ever crossed your mind well the thing is work is recreational stuff for me <laughs> <laughs> you know i mean i really love to work i love to work when i'm uh when i'm not um when i'm not acting or writing Mm -hmm. uh, I do uh, video captioning for the blind. Wow. I I read scripts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that have been written for the dialogue, you know, for in between dialogue in a in a TV show or a movie. So uh, if you're watching your television, and uh, you put it on the SAP. Mm -hmm. Under audio video, you, you choose SAP. Yeah. Then you'll, you'll see the you'll see this the scene but when the actors start speaking you'll hear a voice sometimes mine uh describing what's going on on the screen for for the uh visually impaired that is so In other words, awesome and so i re and i enjoy doing that and it sort of gives me a sense of accomplishment and um uh so i don't know I, I don't know that the day would ever come when I would just say, okay, that's it. I'm not going to act anymore, or I'm not going to do this anymore. Or I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, the nice thing about, you know, being at this end of my life is that I can pick and choose what I want to do, you know? So if something comes along and, 
and I, I don't I don't care enough. I don't <laughs> care enough to go do that, you know. But yeah. that one I'd really love to go do, you know. I just did a podcast called The World to Come. Uh-huh. I, I'm it's just I just did one episode. It is a uh, it's a radio play. It's a music. It's a <laughs> how do I describe it? <clears throat> a science. It's a futuristic science fiction musical radio play. Wow. Uh, with 25 of your the top Broadway actors. Uh, and uh, I had a great time doing that. And um, I just did another uh, a guest star, uh, a guest appearance on a new Netflix series uh-huh. that uh, was shooting in New Zealand. Can't talk about it yet, but mm. um, I'm looking forward to seeing that. And uh, the, this movie Unearth, which I'm very proud of, which I, I did about, I think I did about four films right before the pandemic. And so they're all you know, sort of lying fallow or they've been, they've gone to streaming. Um, Unearth is making the uh, festival rounds right now. And I believe it will, I'm hoping we'll be seeing it in the theaters by this summer. Oh, oh. Um, it's, it's good. It's really good. I bet it is. I bet. Yeah. Now, you, I, I want to go back to the voice thing for a second. You've done a lot of voiceover work. In fact, you did, uh catwoman in the batman animated series you did the voiceover for that for someone who wants to break into the industry as a voiceover acting as sort of way to get their feet Mm -hmm. wet uh how difficult is that i think especially now it is very difficult and the reason i say especially now is because in the last four or five years there's been a big um, pilgrimage of major A-list movie actors who have realized that this is great fun yeah. and uh, they are lending their names. So the competition is extremely, uh, uh, you know, difficult. Tough, yes. Um, it is. It is tough, and um, and because so many people are working from home they all have their studios set up when i did pippin one of the actors and uh, a wonderful wonderful actor named alan kelly who's irish uh has a huge voiceover career and he was doing all of his auditions and his um you know productions from his hotel room in, wow. in amsterdam we were in amsterdam or we're in dallas or we're in boston and you know and uh so it's um it's a it's a it's a great career if you can make it pay off but if somebody is just getting started and they not that you asked my advice but i would think that the best way to do it is to take classes take there classes. are classes there are classes in animation because it's a whole other yeah you know yeah. it's a whole other approach to acting and, it's, and there and... are voiceover classes there exactly. are actual voiceover classes and when it comes to voiceover, it's not really limited. You, there's audio books nowadays, and people can get their feet wet, get recognition, and so on. I think it's actually fascinating for maybe a way who's somebody who wants to try to get into the industry somehow. Now, going back to the movies, uh, for example, The Fog. When you were on top of the uh, lighthouse, 
Uh, mm -hmm. Do you do your own stunts or did you have a stunt double? No, <laughs> no, that's all me. That's all you. <laughs> that's all me. <laughs> we probably couldn't afford a stunt double. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> did uh, Between the Fog and Escape from New York, as far as you know, which one had a bigger budget? Uh, I don't know. I, I would think Escape only because John was farther into his career and, okay. and had more. And certainly, it, it must have been, it made it, maybe it was bigger because he had, you know, Donald Pleasance and uh, and um, and um, Ernie Borgnine and and Kurt. I mean, you know, but I don't know. I I, I never paid attention to that kind of stuff. Uh, I, it's just there's so many things that are floating to my mind. I'm just keeping an eye on the time. Uh, you also did uh, AJ and the you were on AJ and the Queen. Yes. What was yes. that experience like? I loved it. I loved. I fell in love with Rue Paul, and uh, I, I liked the character. And it was a, it was a really nice. Um, it was a nice experience. I was sorry that the seri series didn't get picked up. Yeah, on Netflix. Uh, I, I thought I thought it was rather charming and got got progressively better as it went on. You know. Uh, I ask this question to a lot of my guests. You've been acting for so long. What do you think of the progression that technology plays in today's filmmaking to what it was like back in the late 70s and early 80s? Well, I'm not a big um, I'm not a big moviegoer. Okay. So uh, I, I tend to watch a lot of European mystery series on television, <laughs> you know. And, um, uh, but I am aware that, you know, there are things coming in like deep fakes and, yeah. uh, and roto, roto, what is it called? Rotoscoping. Yeah, and, there's so many different uh, things. There's so many new techniques and CGI. I hear people say that, oh, you know, uh, it was better when we were doing the actual uh, visual effects yeah. and not do with, CGI. With, with actual makeup people right there, especially yes. in horror. Yes, yeah. Yeah, um, that, uh, I mean, yeah. It's, it's different. And maybe there's a place for all of it, you know. Maybe, maybe we're going to, I don't know if we're going to go too far in one direction and then come back when we realize that they all have value. I don't know. It's not, again, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert in that field yeah uh go looking back on your career and all the wonderful people that you have met uh you've mentioned a lot of the people that you've known before you appeared on a movie with is there a particular person with who you've met on a set that you've become a lifelong friend with um tim decay comes to mind from uh carnival HB okay. the hbo series uh, Tim and his wife and their kids. Um, uh, I'm sure there's there's, there's many meeting, more. Yeah, but... after meeting so many people, it's like yeah. yeah. Just yeah, out of curiosity, uh, the fog was remade in 2005. Did you watch the remake of the fog? No, I've okay, never seen it. You're not missing anything. 
that's what I hear. Yeah, you're not missing anything. The your version of the fog, it can never be replaced. Uh, no. You know, it can never be replaced. Uh, just going down, um, you know, when it comes to uh, the makeup that went involved in the fog with the pirates and the fog and so on, mm-hmm. uh, did you get to witness how you know involved that was? With uh, you know, when you're being attacked, actually, when you're being attacked on that rooftop, is the actually it's the only scene in the movie where we get a really clear look at one of the pirates, for lack mm. of a better term. Uh, d- uh, how was the makeup, uh, you know, effects? I mean, was it like fully? Detailed? I don't remember. <laughs> That's okay. I'm sorry. It's okay. You know, a part of the thing for me that makes the fog so eerie is that we don't get to see these supernatural beings because that's what they are in any great detail, except for that one split second scene when you're on top of the lighthouse Mm -hmm. and we see his face and there's maggots coming out of his face. It's pretty disgusting when you think about it, but I was just curious. Um... Now you have worked. There were so many big person, you know, big personalities. Uh, what was your experience with Creepshow? Oh, it was great. It was great. Uh, th- well, there's somebody else who became a lifelong friend, George Romero. Uh, you know, oh. I just I love George, and I still keep in contact with his uh, with his first wife and mm-hmm. his daughter and. Uh, um, um, it seems like whoever George met. I love creep show. It was just fantastic. It was fantastic. Yeah, it seems it was so much fun. It's <laughs> yeah. It seems like whichever person comes across George Romero, he le- he left an impact on their life. Yes, he was just yes. that kind of person. Uh, are you a fan, or I, you said you don't watch horror? But because of George Romero, did you watch any of his dead movies, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, or any of those? I watched Knight Rider. Knight and Rider. I remember loving, liking Knight Rider a lot. Yeah. And I did see Monkey Shines. And I suspect that John showed me Night of the Living Dead because... Um, I wasn't sure I was going to do that. Uh, I wasn't sure I was going to do Creepshow. I just thought when they sent me the script, I haven't thought about this for a while. Uh, when they sent me the script, I thought, oh, gosh, I can't do this. This is vile. This is, ooh, this is terrible, you know. And, and I called Tom Atkins, who had already been cast. I said, Tommy, you're doing this movie? And he said, oh, yeah, you don't get it. It's, it's, you've got to think of it. it it's going to be very stylized. It's going to be a cartoon. you got to do this. And John is saying to me, are you kidding me? You're going to turn down an opportunity to work with George Romero? Oh. Let me show you this movie. You know, so I'm sure he showed me Night of the Living Dead. I don't know that it had any effect on me. <laughs> but, uh, but I do remember enjoying Knight Rider. Uh, there, I don't know if you can answer this or not, but there's, I've heard some rumors here and there that you are actually in the upcoming season of Greg Nicotero's Creep Show. Is that accurate or not? Not the upcoming season. No, I was in the opening, yeah. the, the first season. Okay, yeah, I knew that, but you're not coming yeah. back for another role on the second season. That's 
No. Well, nobody's called me. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, how did it feel to come, you know, you know, doing Creep Show with what was your experience with Greg Nicotero? I liked Greg a lot. Uh, you know, I didn't I I I I think he may have been around the set when we did Creep Show, but he probably was just getting started. I don't I don't I don't know his his whole history. I um but uh and of course his name has always been you know yeah in, in, in my forefront of my mind but i didn't know what to expect as a director and he was wonderful he was great the, yeah when you look back and uh you know being in the creep show way back then and in the uh revised version i mean how does that make you feel well i mean nobody can Nobody can, can can live up to Billy in yeah. the original Creep Show, you know, and the character I did in the uh, anthology series uh, for um, Shudder was, I mean, she was okay, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but well, it wasn't Billy. <laughs> no, no, I totally get that. Adrian, we are out of time. Uh, you've been amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, what should we look out for you here in the coming future? Okay, well... Um, I don't know if I'm if I'm keeping my website up to date, but uh, most of what I'm doing, you can find on my website abarbo.com. Or uh, oh, right now on Alter is a uh, Alter is another horror streaming mm -hmm. platform. Yeah, um, is a film that I did a few years ago that won all kinds of awards, and I'm I, I really like seeing it. It's called Alice Jacobs is Dead. Okay. It's a 22-minute short film. It was my first zombie role. Wow. Uh, so that's on Alter right now. There's a bunch of stuff streaming right now. I did a sort of a Hallmark kind of film called For the Love of Jesse. And there's a... Oh, I just... I did a, a golf comedy film called... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so many movies, so many films. Oh, my gosh. It's hard what's to remember the, them all. What's the... Uh, the al Albatross. There's something in the... Uh, oh, my gosh. I can't remember it. It's okay. If we got Albatross, we can look it up. <laughs> uh, it's uh, with uh, Dan Loria. Okay. The, the, eagle and the, al the Eagle and the Albatross. Are those both golf terms? Does that sound familiar? Does that sound right? Yes. Do you play golf? Yeah. Well, I know that the Eagle, yeah. Eagle is definitely a term in golf. Okay. The Eagle and the Albatross, I think that one was called. Okay. And then, then there was another one that I did right around that time, and I can't even remember what it was. Unearth Will Be Coming. The Netflix series Will Be Coming. <laughs> The um, the podcast is called The World to Come. And that's the podcast where you've done that single episode on, correct? Yes, and I think my episode uh, drops on March 15th, or I think they were just talking about maybe it'll be the following week, sometime in late March. Okay. And, um, and hopefully the Grease Book will be out next next valentine's day <laughs> that's awesome so we have a lot of stuff to look forward to from you a lot of stuff well adrian you've been amazing again thank you so much um uh, it's been a true honor talking to you I, 
just to give you a scope of where I'm coming from, I grew up watching you, you know, and uh, to be here and to talk to you in person uh, or virtually has been an absolute treat. Thank you so much for being here. I want to thank all of our viewers for tuning in. Uh, everybody stay safe on behalf of Adrian Barbeau and myself. Stay safe and always stay walking. Good night, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye.